This is Peak Too Early, presented by SAV Racing, featuring Mike Gendron, Trent Fontanella, and Steve Gendron. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the greatest running podcast in the world, Peak Too Early. I am one of your hosts, Steve Jenner, and I'm joined by Mike Jenner, who is somewhere off the coast of Connecticut. Mike, how you doing? Steve, doing a whole lot better since the last time we talked. COVID-free. Look at me. I'm I'm having a beer tonight, trying to enjoy myself. I went for, uh, I think, like a two and a half mile run today, so I would say I'm back. I'm back. Look at this. I went for a run yesterday too. I'm down I'm down seven pounds since the since post Ireland. I am like as cleanse. Bad, yeah, the juice cleanse, baby. As bad of shape we were in last week. You should have bought our stock then because the Peak Tui boys were on the rise again. And as always, at the House of Sav, we got Trent Fontanella. Trent, how you doing, bud? Oh, I'm on top of the world as well, gentlemen. I drove a car for the first time since uh, uh, June or July, basically, the first week of July. Been walking around the apartment with no boot on, which is kind of crazy. I even went outside up and down the stairs with no boot on, so things are getting a little wild. But most importantly, the gambling bug has really bit me, and, and I've been just on a nice little run. I've been kind of all in on uh, a couple newsletters I get from the Action Network and and some, like, harvard sports analytics blog that i'm trying to read for educational purposes but it really has just triggered the gambling so my question to you gentlemen have you guys ever like paid for one of these services you know the old school ones that you call in and they give you the pics over the phone but nowadays obviously you can do it online because i'm getting these action network emails and i've had a nice little run just in the last couple of weeks and they're like pushing their their paid subscription and they're catching me at a weak moment right now where I am just trigger happy, trigger finger happy, ready to click it. So has that something you guys have signed up for well, before? Let me tell you oh, a little something about freaking Brad Powers. Brad <laughs> Powers, he's the worst. The yeah, worst. so we all there was a there's a group of us that all went in on this uh this guy, this tout, right? And he had like you know, one through five star picks, you know, essentially the amount of units you put on. And the year that we all signed up for this and followed him, he had his worst year ever. We all got destroyed. So yeah, we've done it before. Hasn't worked out in our favor. And listen, here's the thing, Trent. If they were actually good at making picks, they would just be making picks. They wouldn't be telling everybody about their picks. Mm. So stay far away from these, from these, you know, systems, you know, these, these, these subscription based stuff. You don't want to get involved with it. So yeah, well. I don't know. Cause if, if there's two things I know about Trent Fontanella, it's he's a junk science guy and he's a system guy. <laughs> he's a system so system I guy. think you're the perfect audience for a subscription based uh gambling newsletter i think you are the target audience it i feel like the target audience and it's it's kind of funny too i i signed up for this stuff i'm going to school right now i'm trying to get a master's degree in data analytics and i'm doing a couple (laughs) projects on like sports analytics i just chose it as my topic and then i was thinking man if i ever wanted to get into the world of sports analysts i need to like be more involved with this so i sign up for a couple like interesting newsletters that are going over some fun statistics 
and immediately just sends me to the gambling, <laughs> just like black hole. But I don't know, man. I know you say don't get sucked in, but have a nice Wait, little Trent, run. Well, I won a little money on some tennis player I never heard of today. Oh, oh, that's that's my jam. Tennis gambling. U.S. Open. It's oh, fun, baby. man. I'm that's all in on the U.S. Open. Zed, so, I don't even know how to say his name. Uh, there's some Russian guy who's going to beat Djokovic in the final. I'm telling you. That's what the numbers are telling me. Uh, so, Trent, what, what's your master's degree in? I'm going to data analytics. Okay. Well, so I didn't know this. And this is huge news for the podcast and for us. Like, you, you need to start coming up with some systems here, first off. And second off, um, as gambling becomes a bigger and bigger part of the track and field world, they're going to need people to start essentially creating the lines, right? That that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a made like major job. Once Vegas fully embraces running marathons, track and field. Like, I think you have your career path, like very clearly laid out here. Listen, as, as a young man, it's not like I dreamed of making lines for track and field events. I, I dreamed of making lines for other sports, but now that I'm a track and field event uh, guy, you know, now I'm a track and field fan and podcaster. I agree with you that I have always, not always said, probably since like college, I've been like working for like a casino, just working for the bookmaker. If I'm not going to be the bookie myself, like working for the bookmaker, helping them come up with the lines, that's a classy way to just live out the gambling dream. So I think you're right. You Steve. I think you my career. And we'll be doing it legally. So that's right. uh, um, I'll be I'll be sending out picks to to everybody else like your guy Brad Powers. I'll be sending out the track and field picks. So, but you got to start somewhere. And as you're going through this master's program, I need some systems, Trent. Like, like if you're if you're going, you know, the data route, this data analyst route. Like, like what what good are you to me if you're not starting to create some systems? Like, we need to start. I need I need some kickbacks here. Steve, Listen, we've we've tried to give you a few systems. Yeah, no. We've tried that. We've tried that, and you didn't like the system. Yeah, so Steve's I, not a system uh, guy. He's yeah, not a system out, guy. He, shout, out, not shout, a, out to, shout out to uh, uh, Chris <laughs> Robertson, uh, Harrison <laughs> Smith, and Joe Rand for me freaking out on uh, – and, and Colin um, for, you know, witnessing a freak out on Mike and, and Trent on this this system that was apparently fired we we don't need to go down this road he's he's a a a master in data analytics steve i mean you gotta you gotta trust the guy he's a well but before we go here let's get a little tease do do you have a pick do you have a pick for the podcast we're not going to give your whole slate here you know what i mean we we got to keep it under wraps people got to pay for the trent fontanella subscription but do you have like a premium pick a premium pick right now. Well, right you, now, I guess you already gave it. You you like that? You like that guy to be joke the Joker? Yeah, Med Medvedev. Med, Medvedev. Oh yeah. Oh, that guy's he's very good. He's not like but, a no name. But he's, he's not a no name. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's very very good. He's like he's like a top three tennis player in the world. Listen, <laughs> he's like I got him at plus two hundred five to win the U.S. Open. At first, I got him at plus two hundred. Then I got him at plus two ten when his odds got a little bit better. I'd hit him as a future winner of the U.S. Open at this point. Djokovic might not even make the finals. Bet Medvedev before it's too late. I love it. All right. I, love it. I like it. Now pay me like twenty it. bucks for my pick. All right, we got a long episode on deck here. So why don't we why don't we quickly go through the running news? Let's kick it off. All right, so today 
on the day we're recording this, we have the uh, Zurich Diamond League meet. Huge Diamond League meet, a bunch of stuff going on. But we're not here to break down all the results, go through all the races. What I want to talk about here is this insane track that they're throwing out there for the 5K. So outside of the actual stadium, they've got like a very weird-shaped 560-meter track that they're running the 5K on. For what reason? I don't know. I go back and forth literally by the second whether I love this or whether I think it's the worst thing to ever happen to the sport. So by the time it gets back to me, I might have a different take. What, what do we think of this ridiculous track? I could not love this more. I think that this is awesome. I th- we need more weird tracks. Like we need more um, kind of like interesting, different tracks. Like I, like I kind of have this dream of one day owning this field house, arena, whatever this facility, right? And it has like crazy tracks in it. And like there's hills, it can go up onto different levels. And so it's essentially like a, you know, a, a, a four to five lane wide track, but you can make all different types of, you know, ups and downs, in, inclines, declines, and make like a really interesting 5k or 10k on these like crazy different tracks. Like I, it's actually shocked. It shocks me that it's taken this long to create like a different shape track or just like a different interesting, you know, uh, track for, for some of the longer distance. I love it. Steve, we could, we could spend a whole segment on the podcast talking about this dream of yours to, oh, to yeah. build a warehouse and crazy track. Yeah. It would how, think, how cool would that be? Right. And you can adjust it. Be like, Oh, the five K is taking the a loop today. Right. And you, and you take the a loop and then you get the B loop, the C loop, and you can adjust it. And it's like, you take the, you know, the, the elements in the sense where it's like temperature controlled, right? It's a track surface, but you bring in, you bring in different turns, you bring in, uh, you know, uh, elevation increases, decreases, all that stuff. Steve, before, before today, I would have said, what's the point? This is stupid. Do we really need a dumb looking weird shaped track. What are we trying to accomplish here? Why not take these guys off the track? Just put them on the road. Why not try to just run cross country? There's a difference between cross country and road miles or road 5Ks and run on a track. I don't I don't get what they're doing here. And that was my reaction when I read the headlines for this weird, stupid track in Zurich. But but then I watched the race on YouTube and I tuned in and I watched it. And I was so all in on it. Like, it just draws you in to see them on a track running through kind of like a city almost, right? Because there's like some weird buildings running by. There's like this nice, I don't know what it is, this nice, big, beautiful building, uh, this big white building with a big lawn. They're running around and they're just kind of like, it's like a track through a city in a way. And it's electric. It's absolutely electric. It's not spectator friendly whatsoever, right? Like, it's kind of stupid. I totally get that. But you, if you are doubting that this is a good idea for track and field, just watch the race and then come and tell me that it wasn't awesome to see this track out there and these guys running this stupid 560 meter track. So there's there, like I said, there's things I like about things I don't. And, and oh, some of the stuff you said, no, so some of the stuff I like about it is I do like like the different scenery and like you said, running through the city. And I, I went back and forth in this, but I actually like the longer distance. I like the idea of having a long, like, let's get an 800 meter track. Let's get a, 
let's go straight horse racing. Like, let's get a mile long track. Like, that would be awesome. Imagine a mile race where you just went around the track once. I think that that would be incredible and awesome. The shape, I, I can't do the shape. I can't do it. It doesn't look like a track. I mean, Steve, what you were describing, like you said, like the different routes and the A route, the B, I mean, that's just cross country. That's just like road racing. You know what I mean? Like, well, then why even differentiate between? And I want to believe that, you know, track and field is not made as a, a TV spectator sport, right? Of course, I want it to be on TV and everything like that, but. I also want to be able to show up to a track meet and watch the 5k like, right. Like I don't want to have to like leave the facility to go watch the 5k and then not be able to see half of the race. So the shape of it, I cannot get behind the shape. But now I'll, again, I'm all in on doing like crazy distance tracks. Let's get a, a one mile oval and I'm in I, count me in, put stands on it. Let's, let's make it look like a horse race. I think that would be, incredibly fun incredibly exciting i can't do this stupid weird shape that nobody can actually watch the race that's my that's where i draw the line two thoughts before we move on somebody get michael a yellow jacket because he should be wearing oh come on come on and you can't watch the race nobody can watch the race second thought second thought they should start measuring the distance events in furlongs (laughs) yeah okay I'm into that. I'm into that. See, that's what I'm saying. Now you're coming along to me. Now we're talking about it. Let's make this horse racing. I love it. Trent, any final thoughts? No, I just let's let's just be fans of horse racing, maybe. That sounds like fun too. All right. So last week we did our full preseason cross country uh, you know, preview, and we got way more uh XE stuff to get into as the season goes on. But one story that I was reading about and I kind of latched on to, I think it's an interesting story, a team that we did not talk about in our preseason rankings at all. And we didn't talk about them because, A, they weren't ranked, and, B, they didn't even make the national championship last year. But Alabama cross-country brought in a ridiculous freshman class, and they brought in three Kenyans who are all sub-1330 guys. Alabama just brought their way into the con- – I mean, they went from a team that, like I said, wasn't ranked, wasn't in the national championship to all of a sudden, like, possibly the best team in the country, possibly about to go one, two, three at the national championship this year. In my mind, there's so many different ways to go with this conversation. But I don't know. When, when I sent you guys this story, what, what are we thinking when the Kenyan squad – uh, showed up at Alabama this offseason. So my first thought is, why doesn't this happen more often, right? And if this was another sport, right, like say this was football, and there was some, there was, there was some talent in, in different countries, different parts of the world that Alabama wasn't going after. Say there was a stud middle linebacker in somewhere in Africa or somewhere in Europe, somewhere in Asia, and Alabama wasn't going after that player to try to bring him to that school. It'd be weird, right? So why, why isn't this more normalized in track and field? Just like out of nowhere, you have three Kenyans coming to your school that are going to make you a top contender. Like this, this would happen in football. It would happen in basketball. It would happen in all the major sports. 
like I am okay with this. I want to see this more often in cross country. Oh yeah, for sure. Shout out to Alabama for making it happen for, and I always wonder like how these recruiting connections happen, right. And how you get this funnel. Uh, I think a couple of those, uh, the guys from Kenya were like, went to the same high school together. So there's clearly musters. There's some contact they, they had there and then they funnel them all over. Um, but my first reaction was when we were running, uh, to compare this, everyone wants to hear about, you know, our, our running circles, our running stories, but America international college, every year would just surprise you with these new uh, people from East Africa that would come in and just dominate the, the field. So you, you would think like, oh, we got a chance at winning conferences this year, either individually or as a team. Uh, and you're getting all excited because the best guys graduated and you're like an upcoming or a rising junior, a rising senior. And then these just studs come in. Michael Bewop comes in and he just dominates the Glarious conference. Rob. Yes, Glarious Rop was the kind of the OG, I feel like, of that. Uh, for us D2, any 10 nerds. But that's how you feel if you're in the SEC right now, right? Like, I'm trying to look at the rankings and see who is uh, projected to be the favorite in the Southeast. But whoever it is, looks like Ole Miss, right? They could be maybe the best team. And then you just see Alabama comes in out of nowhere with these stud recruits, and you're getting all excited. So, I mean, they can still win it, right? You never know what's going to happen with those guys. I mean, there's a chance they could even, like, redshirt if things don't go well. But all these teams that were just pumped to win the SEC or even, like, compete at nationals now all of a sudden you have these just out of nowhere recruits come in that you got to deal with yeah so does, uh, sorry mike quickly does bama is bama in the top three in the coaches poll next next coaches poll i know i i doubt they're top three but i mean they're ranked yeah. and they're ranked high right i mean they got to be top 10 they got to be top 10 it, and it wasn't even just those three right they brought in like a pretty good freshman class besides that so i I would be surprised if they don't if they're not a top ten in the in the next coaches poll. But it, it'll be an interesting topic when it comes through. Um, so a lot of my takes were similar to what you were saying. To me, it's like one of the most relatable things in the world because take out like the international or like the Kenyan um, athletes in general, and we kind of touch base on this a little bit. But one of my favorite things about cross country is like you never know who is going to take that big leap coming into the next season and it's like the greatest feeling in the world when you got like one guy who like exploded over a summer and is just looking good and you know you have this like secret weapon that the other teams in the conference aren't accounting for uh and i don't know i just love that about the sport of cross country are you bringing that freshman who you know is way better than everyone thinks he is and like i said the, the secret weapon is just like a, such a a hidden part of this sport that is so much fun and something you can't really prepare for. You come in thinking like you're the top dog. And like I said, how, like you said, how many times, sorry, Mike, I just want to cut you off. It's like having the nuts in poker, right? You, it's like having the best poker and nobody knows that you have the best hand and you're the only person that knows. And and some teams play it strategic where like they don't even race those people until midway through the season. So you think you got them geared up and then all of a sudden like you have to scramble because it's like, who, who the hell is this kid? And like you mentioned, Trent, like that's happened to all of us, right? Like we all remember Glarious Rop. And then I remember when he graduated, we were all feeling good. It's like, oh man, thank God. Like that guy is out of here. Like he, he was a stud for AIC. And then the first meet of the next season, we just see somebody wearing the black and gold Kenyan Michael Biwa just sprint out in the first hundred meters way ahead of everyone. It's like, oh my God, who is this kid? And we have to go through it again. So 
you know, whatever you go, you go on these like let's run message boards and everyone's so negative about everything. It's like, listen, if your team is going to go and bring in recruits and bring in three Kenyan absolute studs. And, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I know on the woman's side, there's a couple top Kenyan um, uh, runners on the woman's side, uh, Mercy, Chellingat, um, and stuff like that. So I wonder if there's some kind of connection where it started on the women's team and, and now they're spreading. And if they have a serious connection, Alabama could be a powerhouse starting now going forward for a very long time. So it's just a crazy, interesting development. And if it goes the way that we're saying, like it could change NCAA cross country for, you know, years to come and, and something to keep an eye on. So I love it. Uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about, how long are we going to see BYU and NAU kind of dominate men's cross country? And we're going to have to deal with this for the next like five years. Well, that might be changing very, very quickly. So get your bets in on Bama before the line. Yeah, moves. That's right. For sure. Uh, and other than that, guys, that's, that's what we got for the news. Now we're going to get into our interview with Nate Reich. Nate is the gold medalist in the 1500 meters in the Paralympic games. Nate has a very interesting story. This was one of my favorite interviews that we've ever done. I really enjoyed talking to him. Let's get into it. How you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. It's uh, It's been a bit of a whirlwind uh, the last about 96 hours, but, you know, <laughs> making it. How are you guys all doing? Doing well. So, are you just coming back from Tokyo right now? I got back. Um, I want to say two days ago, um, and so I've been like falling asleep at like three <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon, and basically everything you're not supposed to do. Um, I've been doing it because I don't have to run or anything for the next couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, no, it's been good. Who cares, man? You're a gold medalist. Congratulations. Our first gold medalist on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Has it sunk in? Are you, uh, are, are you allowing yourself to kind of celebrate and consider yourself a champion yet? Or is it still kind of, you know, haven't fully wrapped your head around it? Yeah, it feels strange. Like, feels feels really strange for sure. Um, I've, I've been definitely enjoying it the last couple of days. Um, so yeah, I think when I, I'll go see my family in a couple of weeks. Um, and I think that's when it'll kind of set in more, but, uh, yeah, it's just super weird. Well, give us, uh, give us the details. One of our favorite things is to get like the bender season details from people coming off a big championship. So what was some of the highlights from like the celebration tour that you must've gone on? Yeah, unfortunately it hasn't been like, like that yet. Um, and I, I know you guys know James Perez. Um, who's one of my really good buddies, and uh, I'm definitely the boring one, unfortunately. Um, my family is way more exciting than I am. Like, they were all um, popping champagne, so it was my girlfriend after the race, and, and it was, like, what, like, 6 o'clock in the morning for them, and so I was definitely giving them some crap. I'm like, wow, you guys are starting that early? Yeah, that's, that's, that's early for sure. But, no, I think I had some whiskey and uh, some whiskey on on the plane um and they brought me the stewardess brought me a cake uh, which was super funny um <laughs> but yeah i haven't that's 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 all i've drinking thus far um hopefully at some point i can either get with uh craig ingles or sam parsons and um have a good time with those boys that's right did you do you wear your gold medal on the plane or did you pack oh, that one away of course 
Hell okay. yeah. Right. I'm not planning. Come on, now. <laughs> so we, we have a motto here. When it comes to the end of like a training cycle or it comes to the end of a season, there's three phases, right? You got taper season, you got championship season, and then you got bender season. So you've been through taper season, you've been through championship season. Now it's time to embrace the bender season. And, and until you fully embrace bender season, the, se- the, the training cycle, the racing season, it's not over. It's, it's a necessary part of the training cycle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, – I drink more than I definitely used to. But, uh, but yeah, it'll be uh, interesting when I get with my folks because we're going on a vacation to the Virgin Islands, and um, that'll, be, <laughs> that'll be interesting. <laughs> well, so we have a lot of questions. You're, I mean, we've done, we've done a lot of research on you. You're a very interesting guy. And we all, we all have some stuff that we wanted to dive into, but in order to give kind of our, our listeners some context on you and and some background, um, can you just kind of give our listeners kind of like a, a a quick, you know, your quick backstory? I know that's a lot, but, um, I was, I was doing some research for you. I listened to a little bit of your podcast. You talked about, uh, you know, a golf incident when you were, when you were young, that kind of led you to this down this road at Paralympics. Um, but can you just give our listeners a little bit, you know, your, a little bit of your story? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I grew up in a very athletic family. I'm sure by your research, um, that's usually the first question everyone asks. I would say around eight to nine professional athletes. And I grew up actually in the middle of all that. Uh, I remember joking that I didn't know that to wake up at 5 a.m. and do wind sprints down the street with your family like, wasn't normal until I was like <laughs> eight. Um, and, you know, sports was something that I grew up with. And then I got hit in the head by a golf ball when I was 10 years old and became fully paralyzed on the right side of my body. Um, I still tease my mom for this, but she thought I was faking it at first. And so she took all my friends home first. And then she was kind of uh, pissed that, like, I called her early for the round. And then as we got to the hospital, like my full right side became paralyzed and she was like, Oh crap. Like, like this is not good. And I had a seizure when I got in, I ended up having internal bleeding, internal bleeding. Um, and I was in the hospital for about a month. Um, I was basically a vegetable for the first week. And, uh, after leaving or right before I left the hospital, I said, Nate, you never walk without a limp and you shouldn't even consider playing sports or going to college and so um right then there i'm a pretty fiery if you guys talk to james i don't know if you talk to him or not but i'm definitely a pretty fiery individual um so whenever you tell me i can't do something um i usually try my best to do it um and so yeah it, it led me on this kind of unique road of um trying to prove um all the doctors wrong and um yeah it's it's been it's been quite the journey that's for sure unbelievable i mean you're in that moment you're told that you're gonna have trouble walking for your entire life you go on to to run at the d1 level and you go on to be a a gold medalist in the paralympic games truly incredible i mean that's you know i just kind of going through you know your story and hearing you talk about it i was i was getting fired up you know just kind of reading about it hearing about it truly inspirational Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been, it's been fun. Uh, I've had some pretty unique people um, in my life from my uncle, who's one of the best uh, massage therapists in the world. He works with Blake, Blake Griffin, Kemba Walker, he's with Kobe, he's in his uh, documentary um, and stuff. And so I had like this very unique and sometimes a bit unfair for others 
um, you know, it's, I just have such great access to all these amazing people and um, I've definitely tried to use it as much as I could. So, you know, you talked a little bit about it. I'm sure we'll get down to the road. I mean, credit to us for not bringing up, uh, you know, your family sports history yet. Uh, no, it's but, uh, we, we, surprising. <laughs> we, will, we will get to it. But where sports was such like a huge part of your life and you're 10 years old out on a golf course and this happens and the doctor tells you, like he said, you know, you're gonna have trouble walking for the rest of your life. How long did it take you from that point to start playing sports again? And, and what was that like? You know, what I mean, like what what was it like to, you know, I don't know if it was playing on, you know, the rec baseball team or, or playing pickup basketball or whatever it was. But how long did it take and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so I got out of the hospital on the Sunday and went to school on Monday. So I was like, I was like, get me the hell to school. Like, like I, uh, I feel like at that age, you just want to feel normal. Um, and I was felt so much from normal. I had a really bad stutter for my injury as well. Uh, so I basically uh, started playing like sports at recess, like pretty quick. And um, one of my teachers wrote me a letter before the games and uh, at recess, they didn't want me to play sports and I promised them I wouldn't play sports and then I would like come in from recess just sweating and they'd be like Nate did you play sports but like, no I don't know what you're talking about it's just water um and so I guess I, I guess it started then and uh I did running club in sixth grade um so that was like about a year or, or so I think in fifth grade I did a little bit but in sixth grade I kind of started to take it serious uh, in fifth grade it was more like therapy like just trying to use my leg and arm um but yeah and then I won, I won all the races in sixth grade and so I was like oh like this could be this could be something but at the same time like running sucked I thought like I enjoyed the sprinting aspect of it but I was like this long distance thing not that fun so you, you, you were right into running before the accident a little I was into sprinting like I really I was a, I was a big baseball player um but I guess when you're uh when you're a pitcher and your throwing arm gets paralyzed um <laughs> you're not so good anymore uh, I made one last all-star team that was like one of my big goals like my first short-term goal was to make that last all-star team um playing outfield um and uh, after I did that I was like all right I'm done with this because I suck now um so like let's let's try and find some of them a little bit better at yeah, luckily, uh, so running is there for, you know, you, you and when the other sports you know, weren't working out. Um, and you, you obviously excelled. You got the scholarships to D1 college. But I just feel like it would have been so easy to let the injury just be an excuse to not, like, push yourself, you know, to, to get to that next level. Like, we all look for excuses every day not to go for a run, right? Like we, we find the dumbest excuses tonight. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's like too nice a temperature. I'd rather just kind of relax outside or something like that. So when, especially when you're a kid at that age, like how do you not let the excuses creep in and how do you like find yourself continuing to push yourself to be, you know, an exceptional athlete at that point? Yeah, definitely. Like one is my mom. She is crazy. Um, I love her to death, but yeah, she's, she's fiery like me. So there's no way she's number one letting me. Um, and I'm super competitive and I, I hate to lose. And like, I had a big problem with like bawling my eyes out if I lost them. So, um, I didn't really want to lose. So, um, you know, I really, uh, tried to train as hard as I could at that age. And I think at that age, like running was like such a pain game for me. Like I felt like I could endure more pain than anyone because of my, uh, history. Um, so, um, I definitely enjoyed like taking people to the pain locker. And, um, so that was kind of, uh, one of the things I enjoyed early on. 
pain locker. So, I love follow it. up on on Trent's question there. So the, true story. Um, you know, I'm a washed up D2 D2 runner and recently what I've been turning to is I've been running with my dog and I'm not it's very selfish of me because I'm not really doing it for exercise for the dog or whatever. What I found is I can call it going for a run, <laughs> but really like, you know, we run for a hundred yards, he sniffs around and I get to stop and walk. And, you know, maybe we end up doing a, a collective like mile and a half and it takes us, we're doing like, you know, 20 minute miles, but I can come home and call it a run. So I, I guess what I'm asking you is when you hear other runners making excuses and, and for you know they're running and they don't have to go through half of the shit that you go through does it like anger you or piss you off or do you just like laugh it off and like you know what i mean like no like you could probably smoke all of them anyways or like i don't know how, how when you hear other people like whining and crying about the stupidest silliest things in running what does that evoke in you because i mean you deal with way more shit than i do and i you know make excuses every single day I think when I was younger, I would have definitely been a bit of an asshole for sure. Um, and like, uh, definitely wasn't the best. Like I felt like if anyone didn't work hard, they're like offending me um, at that point. Cause I was like, you don't know what I've been through. But at this point, um, every once in a while, if one of my teammates are being a ding dong and like, well, isn't working hard to be like, uh, ah, must be nice. And I'll just like walk away. And <laughs> they'll just like, I just, just have that thought in their head. Um, or I just know that I'm going to beat them at the next race. So, um, that's, that's also, um, and I'll definitely bring it up. Like my family and my teammates, it's just straight banter. Like we're just ruthless. Like my parents make fun of my brain injury. Um, <laughs> and then so like part of like winning gold, I'm like, I can't wait to bring it to, to, to the dinner table and be like, ah, oh, now you have this, do you? <laughs> so your, uh, your, your mother sounds awesome, right? She, I love the, I love the athlete mentality. Uh, you get you get hit with the golf ball and her first instinct is rub some dirt on it. I can't believe I have to come pick you up from the golf course early. Obviously, that quickly changed. Um, but we need to get into it. We need to talk a little bit about your parents. We need to talk about all the pro athletes in your family um, just because it's, it's very interesting. And so both your mother and your father were pro track athletes, right? Yes, but, correct. But neither one of them were runners. Yeah, no, we're running. I guess my mom was technically a sprinter for a while. She ran the 400 a little bit, ran at eight in high school. But yeah, definitely pole vault was kind of where she excelled um, after women were finally able to vault. And then your father was javelin? Yeah, javelin. He was in high school. He actually won the state meet by himself, like the team title in Montana by himself. He won the one, the two, the four, the hurdles, and the javelin. <laughs> that's awesome that yeah. is so that is great i think i think at least in the state that we grew up they've they've i think they've limited the amount of events you can compete in right is it is it three in massachusetts i think so yeah that that's pretty cool though that's uh, that's awesome um yeah. and so you know i guess i guess did you know where did they kind of um you know i i guess you kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier but when all this was going down, they started kind of pushing you kind of toward back into sports or kind of encouraging you to, to, to try running. Did they want you to try other parts of track and field or did they kind of push you into kind of this mid distance distance um, kind of, you know, events? Yeah, really, I, I kind of found running a little bit 
kind of after my injury, kind of by myself, uh, my parents kind of didn't push me to do track just because that's what they did. And they've seen a lot of uh, family friends kind of push their kids and get burned out and stuff. So I think they kind of just let me had it find it kind of naturally. Um, and like my mom didn't coach me kind of early. She coached me during the summers every, every, every once in a while. But um, I feel like, I feel like they would like tease me every once in a while. Like, Oh, I, I wasn't fast enough or, um, or something like that. Uh, that's just kind of how we are. But um, just growing up, like they just made everything fun. Like we had like speed ladder competitions and things like that. And that's just kind of, uh, kind of how I got into those things. And I, I think those things definitely helped, um, especially post-injury um, because having a coordination impairment is, um, you know, it's definitely tough, especially later in the race. So um, definitely thankful for that. I, uh, I don't understand how your parents were pole vaulters and javelin throwers. Like that's, that's so opposite of distance runners. You know, you look at the track and field team and there's such different like body types out there. Uh, so to think that the thrower and the pole vault there, and then they had, you know, a world-class runner just, just blows my mind. But my real question is, so if your parents don't push you to be like, uh, you know, the superstar athlete as a kid, how do I get my kid to be a pro athlete? Because everyone in your family is a pro athlete for generations. Your grandfather played for the Bruins, I read. Like, everybody's a pro athlete. So what do I do when I have kids to make them become professional athletes? I don't know if I can help you on, <laughs> on, on, uh, on, on that one. But, uh, yeah, I just think my mom just for also firing that she's just so, such, so much banter at my house. I feel like if you, like, lose, it is, like, so rough. Like, I remember in high school, my mom, like, turned to me before the race, and she was like, if you get second, find, find a ride home. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, so, yeah, it's, that's just kind of how it's always been. And, like, I would just hate those rides home if, like, somehow I didn't do well because um, if I did, I wanted to, like, kind of rub it in and be, like, kind of, kind of glow with my family. So I feel like that was always my motivation for a very, very long time. Sounds like we need to get your mom on the podcast. Oh man, she sounds awesome. She's um, yes, awesome most of the time. <laughs> so we, you know, we are a running podcast, but you can only talk about running for so long. Sometimes we've got to talk about far cooler sports. And Trent kind of alluded to, I, I need to get into your grandfather's uh, NHL career a little bit here because I was reading that he still to this day holds the record for most points in a professional hockey game is that is that true did i, did I read that correctly yeah so i haven't like obviously in the last couple of years i don't know if it's kind of gone away but yeah so he had 10 points uh seven assists and three goals and then he also had three goals in 24 seconds to win a game um so oh my god so yeah so many questions i mean do you think your gold medal has now topped like the the best family athletic achievement or does your grandfather still have you on that i mean i, I don't even know i feel like in the states i might have him but in canada there's no way in hell yeah, no i was way. just gonna say that, you're canadian awesome. like if it's not hockey then does it even really matter Wait, no, I mean, no. and how, how much did your grandfather talk about that because i mean you know old people stories are the best i mean did your grandfather just like constantly talk about the fact that he had 10 points in an NHL game I feel like if I was a grandfather an old man I would just talk about that like every single day of my life yeah actually didn't really talk about it much like usually I have to um go I'll go up to his place and usually we'll have like a bonfire at night and I'm always like asking him questions I mean he played with Wayne Gretzky and Bobby Orr too 
I mean, it's not like, you know, he played with, he took Wayne on his first um, fishing trip. So like, I mean, like, I was like, come on, dude, like, like, like we get to get some, <laughs> some of these stories out. Um, he's definitely a big reason why I ran for Canada just because like how proud of him, proud to be Canadian he is. But man, some of the stories that he tells, I'm like, man, back in the day must have been so much fun to play. Um, obviously the money's nice today, I'm sure, um, with some of the, with, with some of the big sports, but man, seemed like they had a blast back in the day. It was a different sport back then. I mean, every, everybody talks about how the sports were tougher back in the day, more brutal, but hockey truly was right. It was like, it was a brutal sport and to be able to be that kind of offensive weapon back in the day, you got to have some real skill. Yeah, it's funny. So he had, he had good offensive skill, but he's known for it enforcer actually. Um, so that's why a lot of times he was on the teams with like some of the really good players is because he, yeah, he would, he's, he's known for fighting. And so it's funny because now you meet him today, he's like the most calm, like gentle human being. And I was like, I just can't imagine you like beating the crap out of someone. And like my favorite was when I grew up in his house, he had um, autographed pictures of him beating the crap out of someone. And it would be like, thanks for the Hawaiian punch. Um, and I was like, this is, this is hilarious. Like, I can't believe you have these like, pictures up in your office. This, this guy cool. was the enforcer, yet he also had the record for 10 goals in the game. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's going to be tough to beat. Yeah. yeah I know. Okay. So <laughs> next episode, yeah, we need your mother on. And then the episode <laughs> after that, we need him on. Oh my gosh. Jim, Jim would be a pretty funny one. That's for sure. <laughs> Become become the number one uh, hockey podcast. We'll transition from a running podcast to a hockey podcast. But like old school hockey, like nothing yeah. in the past like forty years. I want to talk like the no helmet era where people were like smoking cigarettes between periods. Like that's the kind of hockey stories I want to hear. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, and I oh go ahead, Trent. I was going to say was if everyone unless anyone has any more family sports questions, we'll we'll transition out. I mean, your grandfather. We were just talking about his accolades, but you you've become like the goat right at, at para uh, athlete 1500 meters and 800 meters like you are you win the world championship you've got your gold medal now at tokyo like has that set in is that something that you that i don't know is that like a mindset that you have when you go to the line like knowing you're going to beat everybody or at least you know you can beat everybody because you are uh just been tearing it up these last couple of years yeah I, I always have like goals on both able body and parasite um because i felt like uh I would kind of get a bit bit bored during the regular season um, if I didn't. Um, and so I think I, I learned a lot from Craig and Sam when we were up in uh, St. Moritz, Switzerland in 2019. Um, kind of got to run with them a couple of times and kind of seeing the way that they kind of hold themselves and, you know, how hard they train and things like that. And so, yeah, I always have like goals where I want to try and, you know, compete with those guys. Um, you know, that would be awesome. I think that's what led me to running 347 this year, which was, um, I thought I was in shape to run 349, but man, when I ran 347, I was like, man, this is freaking sweet. I was, that was probably, um, I was probably more, more pumped about that, um, than really anything, but, um, but no, it's definitely a weird feeling. Like I thought I would be pretty confident going to the line at the Paralympics, man i was so nervous um i was having a little bit of a problem with my leg because uh, my nervous system didn't seem like it was like awake and i was like oh boy really like now like we're, we're really gonna do this now I was like, this is so dumb um so um i definitely had to kind of figure that out but um i think at worlds i was really confident like i was pretty confident i would win 
Um, but the, at the Paralympics, I feel like everyone comes out of the woodwork. Like you never know who's going to show up, um, which is an interesting thing about Paralympic sport. Like Olympic sport, you usually know who's going to show up, but like you don't know who got classified or anything. So like someone random could show up on the line and you're like, oh, crap, here we go. That's interesting. What's the culture like at the Paralympic Games? Are like the athletes pretty tight? Are you hanging out with everybody or is everybody kind of keeping to themselves and being super competitive? Seems like, especially like my competitors, it seemed like we were all pretty tight. Um, luckily, I had like my best friend, Tom um, Normado, who got six in the 400. Um, him and I, I mean, we're just complete idiots so um we're like he was we we're playing like monopoly deal i don't know if you guys have ever played that game before but it's like a big it's like a short version of uh monopoly and it gets heated um and then we were playing uh on the switch um uh, mario uh mario kart and oh man i suck at video games and he kept beating me and i kept getting super pissed um so i feel i feel like we just filled our time up doing that um and just being complete idiots so um, that's kind of usually what we do. But after the race, we all, like all of my competitors, we all went for a couple of runs and stuff like that, which was cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, we didn't really talk before. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I know for myself and, and probably a lot of our listeners were probably really ignorant to a lot of, uh, you know, how the Paralympics works and, and everything that goes with it. So I got a couple pretty ignorant questions for you. So first one, can you explain like the, um, class system like i know you're it's t38 right is is the class that that you that you run can you just kind of explain how that that class system works yeah so for my specific class there's um coordination impairment which usually involves traumatic brain injuries and cp is usually kind of the two i guess stroke you could put kind of in that because my tbi was basically a stroke um so yes basically you get classified and classification entails um uh kind of a um, table uh range of motion test um and then they do a bunch of like balance and agility tests because that's like our balance usually is horrible and then they go and see you do a practice and a race and that's how they classify you and so i believe it's from 34 to 38 for the uh, uh impairment class of mine um and so 34 is the i guess technically the more severe disability and 38 is the least um, and so those classifiers basically push you in those classes. And uh, for the 1500, 37 and 38 run together. Um, uh, it's probably mostly because this guy named Michael McKillop dominated the 37 class for a long, long time. And his world record was faster than the 38 world record until I ended up eating it. So, um, which was cool. I got to race him at this last championships. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think that's, I know there's some drama right now between that that they, some people think 38.7 shouldn't run with 38s, but um, I think it's it's tough when someone's run so fast in the 37 class um, and that we finally kind of um, got past his world record. So, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely a bit confusing because I, until 2018, I didn't really know anything about it. So there's vision impaired, there's short stature, there's amputees, that's arm and leg um uh, hopefully enough and uh t uh t t20 which is like the autism spectrum um that's where uh mike mikey brennigan um runs um in that class and um and so i believe those are all the classes and so it's it's really cool it's it's 
unique because I feel like Olympians have really good stories and I don't ever want to take anywhere away from Olympians, but I feel like every Paralympian has a story, like pretty crazy story. Yeah, for sure. That, that's kind of the thing. It's just like, it's the, the stuff that you're talking about and the challenges you go through and you know, how hard you have to work. I mean, that's not, not that every Olympian doesn't have to work hard to where they get, but it's just like that, that one extra hurdle. So I guess that's ignorant question. Number two for me is, you know, with your injury specifically, is it something that affects you, you know, pretty much consistently the same amount every day, every training run, every workout, every race, or does it vary? Like, is, is there times when you go out for a workout and uh, it's, things are way harder than they were, you know, the day before or the week before or, or something like that? And it's definitely better days or there's definitely worse days for sure. Um, usually I, I have like a baseline, I would say. Um, but the thing is that like I have a, the hole in my head um, when I get fatigued, I'm like completely useless. Um, when I do like speed work, like all at 150s, like we have to be really careful with that because I could like not run for a week. Um, and the weird thing like about track is obviously we're constantly going left. So my right side is my bad side but my left side tightens up so bad because I overuse it and we're turning left. So it seems like kind of like a double whammy. Um, and my right side is it gets like really tight and like usually, you know, regular muscles will like actually release, but my muscles won't release. Um, and so it's like, I just get really achy and, um, I have a, like a little bit of a limp on it, but, um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, but yeah, when I go over that red line, it's brutal. Like, like I, like I, I honestly like I'll wake up and I feel like I'm drunk. Um, and I'm just like I don't know what's going on. And like, there's the three. I think there's been six. I think five or six times where my coach Heather has sent me home because she's like, you shouldn't be at practice. Like, like you just look horrible. Like, like uh, there's like no pro- no point in practicing. Um, and so I think recovery is a lot more important for me than maybe your average runner and so that's why like i'm very strict like i will never run without foam rolling um stretching and activating i don't think i've ever done a run without that um so i just think those 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 little things almost become big things for me um versus the other athletes and i think that's why i had some some success in college in high school um i was never like a great runner in at either of either of those levels but felt like i really understood that recovery piece which um, which allowed me to, if someone wasn't doing that, to kind of beat them. Good point. I got a, I got a question for you. Uh, where does the name uh, Gray Wolf come from? Or that, is that a nickname? Or where, where, where does that come from? Yeah, so uh, on my Baj Badad side, um, there's a Native American uh, component there. And, uh, and uh, on the Flathead River um, there in, in Montana, and an elder of the tribe gave me uh, my full name, Nathaniel Gray Wolf Reach. So it's actually my middle name. Um, and I've always thought it was like the coolest thing ever. So uh, yeah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so it's in everything. Like every, uh, Mike, every social Mike's got media. a kid on the way. I think we got a, I think we got a new <laughs> middle name. I know. I mean, that's, that's incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> I love it. So. Well, yeah, you so, got, so it was, you said, so it's got, it's got Native American ties? Yes, correct. Oh, I'm sorry, or uh, Indigenous Canada or Native American? Uh, Native American, so uh, yeah, right on the Flathead River, um, there's just the, the Flathead tribe, um, which is there, and so my great-grandma is full-blood Native American, so I guess um, I'm not like, obviously I don't look 
Um, you know, if, if you look at me, you would never guess that I have part Native American in me. So, um, so yeah, which is like always funny because I'm like this blonde hair, blue eye um, kid, and like no one will ever believe me. I'm always pulling out my license, being like, "Here you go." Like, like if you don't believe me, like here you go. It's it's always pretty funny. That's very cool. Now you you did. I got another quick question for you. You did gloss over it a little bit earlier. And I was talking to our buddy, James Perez, owner and founder of Stoke Performance. Shout out Stoke. Uh, he, he did mention to me that you have a close personal relationship with Blake Griffin. Uh, is this true? And what's he like? I do. Yeah, he is. He is one of the uh, most down the earth people I've ever met. Um, yeah, so I went over. I was in L.A. like two weeks before. Um, I ended up going to Tokyo and got to hang out with him a little bit. So that was that was super fun. And so my, my uncle's kind of the guy that works with him for like human movement and a lot of his lifting on the off season. Um, and so I've hung out with him like at least like 10 times. Um, so that's like super cool. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, I, I remember when he followed me on Instagram, like everyone, like all of my buddies started freaking out. Like, I can't believe your your Blake follows you on Instagram. And so, yeah, we, we DM each other here and there. And he actually wrote me a letter um a really funny letter like he's super funny like as funny as he seems um in on like interviews and stuff that's really how he is and my favorite is just when we bust my uncle's balls that's like that's like by far my favorite when him and i just just gang gang up on him and uh he did tell me he'll root for me even though i'm i'm competing for the wrong for the wrong country so that was uh that was pretty funny, but uh, but yeah, no, we have a pretty good relationship, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Does Blake have a Does Blake have a gold medal? I can't remember if he ever played. For I don't believe so. Oh man, oh, you so have, you to, you have to throw that in his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. I think he has a couple of things for me though. <laughs> I don't know. Gold medal is a pretty big deal, so that's a, that's the that's the big one right there. Yeah, I think you have to dangle that one in his face. I'll try. I'll try. I'll I'll. I'll I'll do my best. It was uh, when I, when we were with him in, in LA. He was like, "Nate, you're like you're like you're like looking pretty like big, man. You're like, have you been lifting?" And I was like, "Yeah." And so like the entire trip, I was like just walking with my arms wide through like every doorway. And my uncle was like, "I can't believe Blake told you this. This is how you're gonna be the entire time." I was like, "Blake Griffin told me I'm ripped. Of course I'm. Up. Of course I'm gonna be like this the entire time. Come on." Uh, did, did he get you a Kia yet? <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> Got to use that connect. <laughs> I know, right? Hey, I want to ask you about your podcast that you have. So you had uh, the podcast, the, the Gray Wolf, um, Strides with Gray Wolf, is that? Yeah, correct. It was, yeah. So, you know, Steve sent us the, the link to your episode, and it was incredible. Like, you know, just uh, hearing your story was was something special. And then you did it with a bunch of other Paralympians where you got everyone to tell their story. And I got to imagine, like, just hearing your story makes me now a massive fan of yours and going to be tuning in to different para-athlete uh, competitions uh, around the world. Are you getting a pretty strong um, positive reaction from people as they hear the stories that you kind of alluded to earlier? But when people hear the stories, apparently, is it sucking people in um, and, and actually having, a, like, a good impact on growing the fan base for your sport? Yeah, definitely. We've, we've, we've had some really good reactions from it. And I just feel like, obviously, the media doesn't. Um, do as good of a job um, for the parasite. And um, I think um, I, I was a comm major in college and I feel like part of like, I'm really I'm still a little bit self-conscious on my stutter. 
And I've always been like that since I was 10. Um, and so I felt like that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do it during the pandemic was to kind of test myself. Um, and as well as just tell these athlete stories, a lot of them are some of my really good friends. Um, I just felt like it would be cool to, instead of like from a journalist perspective, from an athlete's perspective. And, um, I think part of it was like, does the world really need, need another podcast? Like from me, like, tell like, me about uh, it. but, uh, but I was like, yeah, that's cool. And, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm open to really anyone who wants to come on it. I know me and Craig had talked about him kind of coming on. Feel like him and I would get in a lot of trouble um, if I did a podcast together, but uh, but yeah, no. So it it's been super fun, and uh, I've heard like since 2016, it's grown so much. Like the media coverage um, at this games was crazy. Like after I won, I have like I've never been so overwhelmed in my life. Like it was like everyone was messaging me, and um, like uh, Justin Trudeau tweeted at me. Justin Knight called me the goat. Got a text from Mo Ahmed, Mo, Melissa Bishop. I was like, man, I think this is pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, I, I was um just kind of doing research, uh, going through Peacock. And Peacock did a really cool thing where they recapped each day. But then they, they told stories of some of the Paralymp- you know, Paralympic athletes and everything um, along with the, the event. So it's pretty cool. I'm actually looking forward to, like, diving into that and going and watch more stories and everything. So um, very cool. Um, you know, I, I, before we kind of wrap up the interview, I'll, I'll just say this, you know, I think as a runner, everybody, you know, everybody that's listening to this podcast that's competed in the sport of running, you know, you face adversity and you face tough times. And for, for most people, they're kind of few and far between and they suck, they, they suck a lot when you're going through them. And then when you look back on them, you look them with like a lot of pride and how you developed a lot of character and, you know, it, you know, you forget like how hard it is going through those, those tough times and that adversity. Um, but this is something that you face every single day and you're grinding through it and you're accomplishing big goals and you're an inspiration. Um, and I just want to say thank you for telling your story. Thank you for, uh, you know, grinding out and, and competing on the world stage. Um, it's been, it's been really cool to kind of dive into this. I'm a fan of the sport now. I'm going to continue to follow your career. I'm going to continue to follow, you know, the Paralympic 1500 meters. Uh, so thank you. This has been really cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. And thanks for having me on. I've been, I mean, I listen to you guys' podcast all the time. So um, I really appreciate you having me on. Well, if you've listened before, you know, you're not getting off that easy. We're playing nope. a quick game. <laughs> Mike, why don't you kick off down the home stretch? All right. Down the home stretch, rapid fire questions, keeping it, you know, we, we need to talk more about it. We've already talked a little bit about it. We got to talk more about it. We're talking gold medals here. Trent's going to hit you with the first question. Let's do it. All right. The first one's an easy one. Where are you going to keep the gold medal? That's a good question. Uh, I feel like I'm just going to put it up in my room. Uh, my world championship one was just under my bed, uh, which everyone gives me, gives me crap for. Um, but I didn't want it to be visible um, before the game. So I wanted to, like, act like I'd, I'd never won anything. Um, but, yeah, I probably just so i guess this is less of a question and maybe more of a statement but i want to normalize uh when medalists they when they get their medal i want to make it like as if you won a wwe wwe championship belt or like a boxing belt and you can like wear it 
to your next event. So I think that you should start this trend of wearing the gold medal out to the start line and then taking it off before you get before you before the gun fires. What do you think of that? That would be pretty funny. Kind of like the like kind of like the the UFC belt or something. Exactly. That, would be, that would be that'd be pretty cool. I did wear it through the airport um and I got uh, like all my like, I had four check bags, got like all all the bags for free, taking pictures with people. And then a couple of my teammates had to pay like a bunch of money for their bags. And I was like, sucks to suck, man. <laughs> so how long do you think it's acceptable to wear your gold medal out in public? I'm talking, you know, wear it to the supermarket, wear it out to dinner. Like how long can you get away with that? Man, like, like I feel like a week. Like all my friends are saying, like, dude, you better wear that all the time. He's like, you better, you better wear that to the store. You better wear. He's like, and you should be getting so much free stuff. Is what all my buddies are saying, especially college and high school buddies. And uh, yeah, so uh, I think they think it's more acceptable. But man, that thing's heavy though. Like the metal is huge. So I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to wear that around all the time. Be a neck problem. Uh, we, a lot of athletes, you see them, they, they bite the metal. I think it's to make sure it's real. Did you bite your metal and what does it taste like? I did not bite it. Um, I did not bite it. I heard it's like part like uh, recycled cell phone. So I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks though. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to our, our buddy Josh Kerr's podcast, he talked about how he almost lost his bronze a couple times in Tokyo. He just misplaced it and he had to go searching for it. Have you almost lost your medal at all since you've had it? So I was talking with my uncle, Trevor, who works with Blake. And uh, one of Blake's assistants was like, hey, Nate, can I see your medal? I looked at her and I was like, I have no idea where the hell it is. Like, I have no idea. And I'm like going through like backpacks trying to find it. And I finally found it. Um, and I was like, uh, oh, yeah, here it is. She's like, did you really not know where where it was? I was like, ah, minor details, all right? I found it. It's all that matters. <laughs> did I hear you mention earlier that you, you do have a girlfriend? I do, I do. I'm actually at her place right now. Oh, okay. Is she worried at all that, you know, you having a gold medal might, you know, attract some, some laters your way or, you know, kind of be a, be, a be a bit of a magnet there? uh that has not been something she's expressed to me yet uh, <laughs> so um, i'm gonna go with no um but uh, but yeah she thinks she's, it's she's thinking cool. it. come on she's the thoughts at least crossed her mind once no man you're trying to get me in trouble aren't you <laughs> <laughs> not sure how i follow that question but uh i'll go with how much would you sell your medal for what's it was an offer that you couldn't refuse I don't know if I could sell it. Come on. There's got to be some number that you would get it up for. It would have to be like an NBA contract, man. It would have to be like some good <laughs> money contract. over like seven years, you know? Like a like, like hundred million over seven years or something. We'd have to like – we definitely have to have something good like that. Whatever the Clippers gave uh, Blake Griffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. Show me the money. <laughs> Mike, hit him with the last question. So, yeah, you, you kind of, like, talked about how your family likes to talk smack or whatever. Who was, like, the very first person that you took your gold medal and talked a little shit to and rubbed it in their face and, and you know, kind of gave them a hard time 
for the fact that you got a gold medal around your around your neck. I don't know if I've I've uh, I don't know if I've done it yet to anyone, but like I'm planning to have it under my t-shirt, um, and then we're gonna have dinner and be like, oh, hold on, hold on, and like pull it out and be like, <laughs> that's better. Um, anyone else have this? Uh, no? Oh, sorry, just me. I'm on my own business. Thanks, appreciate it. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been uh, this has been a ton of fun. Oh, thanks for having me. So, yeah, literally almost two years ago, I committed to do a Ragnar with people from work, and we had paid and everything, and we were gonna do it. Okay, whatever. It was just two years ago, Mike. I got an email. <laughs> You know, I'd been gone from work for whatever two weeks. When I got back, I had an email in my inbox saying like, "Hey, the uh, Ragnar <laughs> has been rescheduled, and we're doing this one. And you know, you got to go to this link to sign up." And I'd I'd completely forgotten because what is it like 150 bucks or something to sign up for these things? I'd forgotten that like I just paid that money and never, nothing ever came to it for two years. Um, so. I'm technically signed up to do a Ragnar that weekend, which I don't know if that's going to happen. I might have to send an email and say, you're going <laughs> to find somebody else. All right, boys, let's kick off the bell app. Mike, what do you got for people on the bell app? So it's fantasy football season. And, I, and, and listen, every single year, it's kind of mentioned to you guys before, I say I'm going to quit fantasy football. I'm over fantasy football. I don't want to do it. It is what it is. You don't, it's hard to break away from these leagues. And here I am three nights, three drafts in a row. I'm in three fantasy football leagues. Uh, So I got dragged in and, you know, we're in here before talking strategy and this and that and the other thing. But it all just hit me at once. Like we're recording this on a Wednesday. It's dropping on a Friday. So by the time people are hearing this podcast, the NFL will have started. Tom Brady will have already played a football game. What is going on? Like my mind is blown. It's ridiculous. So it's football season and it's the greatest time of the year. We love it. So I couldn't be more excited, but I don't, I honestly don't feel like I'm ready for it. Like I don't feel like I'm mentally prepared for it. Trent, what do you got for people on the Bell app? Oh, Michael, I, I am mentally prepared for it. And then some, I think, being uh, hobbled up with the, with the broken ankle getting over surgery, I was telling the boys I am just locked in on, on the, the gambling. I'm locked in on the fantasy football this year. Um, I'm also locked in, like, we got some massive races coming up, right? We're not getting it out there to the Fifth Avenue, but that's coming this weekend. We were talking, the fellows and I, uh, or, or us fellows, we're talking about the, the marathon schedule that's coming up. All the marathons that we've lost this last like year and a half, these elite uh, major marathons in the cities, that feels like everybody decided to reschedule it in the fall. So we have the marathons coming up. We have cross country. Uh, this truly is the, the greatest time of the year. So we're definitely doing something for the Boston Marathon and potentially Chicago too. So if you're going to be at either one of those marathons, we might, we'll, we're definitely in Boston working on Chicago. So stay tuned. we got some more information coming on that. My Bell app, I'm going to go. I got two things. It's my Bell app. I'm going to say two things. Uh, I was out in the backyard this morning with the dog. And in the midst of, you know, 
green grass everywhere. There was just one orange leaf in the middle of my backyard, completely turned orange in the middle of my backyard. And Mike, that's all I needed. That's all I needed to get ready for football season, get ready for cross country season was that one orange leaf. So that, that happened this morning. Um, and then I also want to pay tribute to the late, great David Patton. He's one of the, one of the, one of the players that helped build help build the new England Patriots dynasty. Just a, a true, if he was a runner, he would be the, the, your fifth man grinder on your team, you know, coming through, getting that, getting that last stick for, uh, for, for the team, putting yourself in the position to win. He was that grinder on the offense. And I heard a super interesting stat that I just need to say the Patriots first Super Bowl run in the 2000, 2001 season throughout the entire playoffs, the Patriots scored a total of three offensive touchdowns. Most of their touchdowns came on defense and on special teams, but they scored three offensive touchdowns. One of them, Tom Brady ran in in the snowball against the Raiders, and then David Patton caught the other two, one in the AFC Championship game, one in the Super Bowl game. Um, so David Patton is, is one of the unsung heroes of the Patriots dynasty. Rest in peace. Other than that, boys, I would have run faster, but I peaked too early. Mike, hit me with the Josie. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things I don't want to say. You know I like my girls a little bit older. I just want to use your love tonight. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Ain't got many friends left to talk to. No one around when I'm in trouble. No, I'd do anything for you. Stay the night, we'll keep it undercover. I just want to use your love tonight. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Awesome. I don't know how I got away with without any Patriot questions this entire time i was i was i was super shocked oh, we can put it in now what's the, what's the <laughs> are you, are you a patriots fan no i don't know i'm a vikings fan so i thought i thought i thought for sure i was gonna be getting some i thought i thought james would know that like i don't like the patriots at all so that's why i was like i was definitely waiting for for uh, some crap on all my teams suck. All right, well, let's come up. Let's come up with some sort of bet. Like, well, who, so you are you all Minnesota then? Is it no? So I'm Minnesota because I met Randy Moss when I was younger um, at a game. Oh, so you gotta but... be kind of a Patriots yeah. fan then. Come hey, on. Why did you choose the Pats? Randy man, broke all of his records. Man, man, I, I can't do it. <laughs> Tom Brady is. It, you know, when someone becomes so good, you just hate them. It's just, it's just like That's I have no. I have no reason to hate Tom Brady or the Patriots just because they win. And I like all Phoenix um, teams just because I live there. All right. Well, um, we got to We got to come up with some sort of bet. If the, if the Patriots have a better record than the Vikings, then we got to do something and vice versa. We got to come up with a bet. All right. Let me, let me stew on it a little bit. And we'll, Even though I'm going to lose so that you guys know you ain't going to do anything. I'm the one's going to have to do it. <laughs> <laughs>